Gale. And hi, I'm Catherine. Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, our award-winning weekly podcast. Please join Aging Reimagined Circle, our sustaining membership fund, so we may continue to inspire women to age with curiosity, courage, and creativity. Aging Reimagined Circle hosts probing discussions each month on Zoom, so visit our upcoming events at womenover70.com and join us today. And today we're very pleased to have Beth Truitt in our studio with us. Beth has is 77. She's served for profit and nonprofit organizations in executive capacity throughout her career. Four years ago, she retired from Oral Health America, a national organization dedicated to increasing access and education about oral health care. In 2020, she completed a graduate certificate in gerontology from Concordia University, Chicago, and formed a consultancy, Aging with Grace. She now serves as a consultant and project leader with the Center for Gerontology at Concordia. Beth, your background includes working for major corporations, serving as the CEO for Oral Health America, sitting on ARP's core group for the Raise Family Caregivers Act, the Raised Family Caregivers Act, and is an executive director of Chicago Lights at Fourth Presbyterian Chicago. So I'm curious, is there a common thread that attracts you to these organizations? Well, there there is a common thread, um, and it is opportunity. Um, each of the organizations was um, in a position where they were ready to make a major change. And so the common thread really um, developed as a result of there being opportunity in each of these organizations um, to make a considerable change. And this is something that I'm interested in, and that is um, starting something, implementing it, seeing it to completion, you know, and then hopefully, you know, handing it off to um, another talented person. But the common thread relative to older adults in particular between Oral Health America and Chicago Lights was is that there was an, uh, a need for a program in both instances for older adults. And while the organizations were unconnected from a topical perspective, um, there were many threads that were woven through the 17-year period of my career, um, including the opportunity to work with the RRF Foundation for Aging to really um, generate the funds to complete significant projects in terms of a complete change in an organization um, and also the institution you know, of a new program to really take advantage of the fact that uh, the population is aging and aging very differently. Um, my service to AARP relative to the Raise Caregivers Act was directly related to OHA, Oral Health America, um, in that I was a member, one person, of 40 organizations that brought this legislation over a five-year period um, to completion in 2018. And, and what was that? Can you tell us a little bit more about that? This Caregivers Act is, is an act that was um, generated because of the increasing load on caregivers, if you will, um, in the United States and the lack of a national policy. So. Um, our task was to um, have HHS 
um, require the development of the strategy that would have national implications. We then passed. We then turned that over to an implementation group of scientists of you know of various ilk, and today um, there is an implementation process going on, overseen once again by HHS and HRSA. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you're, you're, tell us a little bit about the uh, Reframing Aging Center. The Reframing Aging is something I actually became interested in when I was still with Oral Health America and attended uh, the training. So, when I reviewed what the strategic plan was for the Center for Gerontology at Concordia, um, I saw that um, really looking at ageism uh, was one of the tenets of the strategic plan. So Lisa uh, Peters-Bumer, who is our director of the center, and I talked about the fact that we could really tap into the Gerontological Society of America, who now leads the National Center to Reframe Aging, um, and to bring that um, opportunity to our community. It was a great fit um, because they had already done some work in, in Chicago. We had celebrating seniors that was going on in a, uh, our community in, in May um, and an opportunity for funding that would allow us to both purchase training for our grantees and also to offer uh, grants to community groups. Uh, the crux of the matter, of course, behind reframing aging I mean, those are the, these are the tactics, but it's really we need to take another look at how we talk about aging. Um, there is implicit bias involved in how we, as older adults, actually further the conversation around ageism. It's not just something that's happening um, with other generations to us, but we're participating in it. So to the extent that we can actually change that conversation and shed a new light on aging, that gives us an opportunity then um, to reframe the conversation. Could you give us uh, some examples of how we ourselves do that, we who are part of the aging population? I'd be happy to, Catherine. Um, you know, one of the most obvious things is to change the birthday cards we send. Um, you know, instead of messages that are negative about aging, you know, we want to send joyful um, greetings to to our friends. Um, it's also in the way we write copy, perhaps, for articles in organizations that we're involved in. You know, do we lead with the negative or do we do we lead with the positive? It's shunning words like silver tsunami and senior moment. And taking those out of our conversation and replacing them with not Pollyannish, but positive words and images about aging. Is, is that helpful? Mm -hmm. Yes, very. Yes. I've, um, I've started purchasing all of my birthday cards through two different sites that are, one is changing the narrative. And there's another that has very positive, uplifting messages. What what is that organization? Um, well, I'm not affiliated with the Lighthouse, um, but I believe it's an organization for people who have issues with sight. Um, and so, it, interestingly, you would ask this because 
uh, one of my colleagues at the Gerontological Society of America, because I love to read out loud, suggested that maybe one of the volunteer activities I could engage in would be to become a reader. Um, mm. That's kind of all I know about it right now. <laughs> okay. Chicago Lights at Fourth Presbyterian, is that the same thing? Not at all. Chicago Lights at Fourth Presbyterian Church um, is actually a local organization. Uh, so I was with one national, Oral Health America, and then one local. Um, it is headquartered at the Fourth Presbyterian Church of uh, Chicago, which some people recognize as being across from the John Hancock building. Um, and uh, Chicago Lights is dedicated to building brighter futures for both children as well as adults. And one of the uh, key things we do in terms of older adults is is really work with uh, people who are experiencing homelessness. They may even be people with jobs, but due to Chicago yeah. rent, are still experiencing um, homelessness. So um, we're offering case management, as well as some of the charitable types of services, um, housing vouchers, um, and we'll be engaging in a major um, affordable housing project in the future. Wonderful. Yes. How, how did you um, how did you decide that gerontological work was what you wanted to do? You know, that is really an interesting question because I have to go back, you know, 60 years, no more, 65 maybe. And that is uh, every Thursday I was required by my parents to have lunch at the ladies' aid. And so I would do this until I went to high school. And so I had many conversations um, with older people and really always felt warm. But I didn't have grandparents. And I spent a number of years um, really focused on the corporate business. Um, but then the opportunity uh, came about to, with these two programs I told you about earlier at Chicago Lights, as well as Oral Health America, and um, when uh, I retired in 2019, I thought, you know, there's so much more to gerontology than what I've been able to gain as an oral health executive. And so I decided to um, go to Concordia, and it ended up being serendipitous because who doesn't want to go on school online during the pandemic? I, I didn't know that in May of 19 when I enrolled. Um, when I enrolled. I thought I would ride my bike to school because I live near the campus. Um, but as it turned out, it was a great choice. In December of 2020, I completed my work and then was invited uh, to continue with, with the university. Um, but the interest really developed first as a child and then emerged again later in, in life. And now I see it as a place to be because I think if we can be advocates um, for our own generation, um, that's an that's an that's an opportunity. And um, just like I was an advocate in my twenties and thirties, now here's a new opportunity. <laughs> I like the way that you phrase that to be an advocate in our own own generation, which is you know really what women over seventy is all about. That we are advocating for our own generation. And uh, why Concordia? What? How did that happen? Well, first of all, every time I've changed careers, I've gone back to school. 
Um, my daughter wisely told me that she didn't think I'd ever be very good starting at the bottom again, that I needed to, <laughs> to have an opportunity to be somewhat in charge. And so I, uh, just as I had done with the seminary, rather than choosing Princeton, which was far away, I chose McCormick, and rather than USC, um, Concordia was close, and in both cases, affordable. And so both of those things, you know, influenced my choices. I had also grown up as the daughter of a Missouri Synod Lutheran pastor, um, and also my grandfather was a missionary. Um, so there was an interest, I think, in Concordia, and that a fact that kind of I, even though I no longer um, it involved in in that tradition that I would really understand some of the dynamics that would be involved in working for um, Lutheran University. Mm -hmm. and, and in addition to the this work that you do, I believe you're also on several boards of directors. I am, um, and I really enjoy that. I am on the uh, Dean's Council for Planning at Belgrado University. Um, and that is um, not for the whole school, but for the School of Arts and Sciences, which is where I received my initial mm. degree. Uh, so that is an opportunity to really advise the dean and the school, you know, on the forward movement um, of the school. And one of the projects I'm most interested in is called Access Valpo, which is giving um, students who can't enroll on a four-year basis an opportunity to come for two years and then potentially move on. So that's something I'm both interested in and investing in. Um, I'm on the board now of Chicago Lights, the organization um, that I helped uh, bring together. And I'm in my fourth of six, fourth of six years and uh, currently serve on the Resource Development Committee since sales and marketing is so much in my background. Hmm. Uh, all right, I have to ask you, how does sales... <laughs> get to be so much in your background because my, that was my entire corporate career oh. from the time I began at Kraft um, in 1970 and until I left McGettigan Partners in uh, 2000 so 30 30 years um, with a few other stops in in between <laughs> well clearly you are your time must be so well taken up all, all of it. And so I wonder, how, how do you make time for all that you do? Well, you know, first, I'm, you know, I'm healthy. So I consider that a gift. So that gives me a reasonable uh, amount of, of energy. And um, this is kind of crazy, but I make a three by five card um, at the beginning of every week. And on the front of the card, you know, I do a lot of the things, you know, I learned in, in my corporate life. And that is, you know, I make a list and I start three things that really need to be accomplished. Um, and then I get to mark them off, which is kind of like putting the star on the chart when I was growing up. And, um, you know, if I don't finish them, I carry them over to the next week and ask myself, what was it about that week that caused that? you know, not to happen. Because I think that all of us, we make time for what we believe is important. Um, now, this isn't to say that there aren't bad weeks. I mean, there are weeks when I look at the list and go, oh, no. I mean, this this really didn't go that well. But it's an opportunity to learn. 
you know, and to start over the following week. Mm, wow. <laughs> I would also say that I have really a wonderful husband. Um, and so he really does um, a lot of things that allow me to continue to function, whether it's like digging in the garden or chopping the vegetables for um, an event that we're having or for seven years while I commuted to Philadelphia, really keeping the house um, and our life together. So um, we met 40 years ago and it's going well. <laughs> yes, that's great. <laughs> that is really great. And and so going back to the oral health, uh, you know, uh, program that you worked for, why is it that it's important for people who are aging to think about oral health? Well, I'm really glad you asked that. Um, I mean, the first obvious thing, of course, is the mouth um, is the portal to uh, the rest of the body. But um, just as in mental health, uh, there's a separation sometimes between physical and mental health. The same thing happens relative to uh, the mouth and the rest of the body. So that's the fundamental thing is, is that oral health is often over, uh, underrated for over all ages. However, for older adults, there's such a greater chance that gingivitis and follow-up with periodontitis um, will develop. And um, both of these have a significant impact. Research is increasing all of the time. The one that there's no question about any longer is the relationship between periodontitis and diabetes. You know, probably the number one uh, disease that we're faced um, with addressing in this in this country. Um, there's also a strong association um, with uh, with heart disease, and now additional research um, is showing that there are also some possibilities, which I've believed for a long time, um, between plaque in the brain and plaque in the mouth. Hmm. So um, as we age, um, it is increasingly um, important um, that we pay attention to our oral health, and of course, it's difficult, especially if you're without resources uh, because oral health is not included in Medicare. Um, there are some plans that are included in Medicare Advantage, but um, I think only had only the Build Back Better uh, bill passed because finally um, oral health would have been covered in Medicare along with vision. And that's quite an issue for a lot of older citizens to be able to afford to pay for oral health. Right. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, I'll give you an example of how this of how this is a problem for uh, people without um, adequate resources. Um, at Oral Health America, we were working with the Chicago Housing Authority, the service providers that were um, oversee any public housing uh, building. And they were losing residents because the residents didn't have good dentition. And without good dentition, they had poor nutrition Without poor nutrition, they became frail and couldn't continue to rent their apartments. So the implication for the social determinants of health um, is really uh, significant, and it can't be underrated as a health and also um, a civil issue. Yes. Yes. Mm. I'm curious about the advancements in research and 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 what's being what we know now about the 
the importance of oral health. I assume that's being taught in dental schools and continuing dental education. Is there, do you know what's going on in that arena? Oh, there is no doubt that it's being um, taught in our 57 dental schools um, around the around the country. Um, but there has been a separation between medicine and dentistry back to the time when um, dentists began as barbers. And so the med medical and dental community, I would say I'm seeing more promising signs now um, than I saw during my entire career at Oral Health America that more schools are combining a dental school within the medical curriculum oh. rather than separating them. So I think that things are going in the, um, I think things are going in the right direction from an educational perspective. But as you know, Catherine, as an educator, um, getting curriculum change in nursing schools, in medical schools, and in the schools that need to connect with oral health, mm -hmm. a bit more challenging. Yes, yes. I'm happy to hear you think it's, you say it's going in the right direction. I My mother is uh, 97, and she's she's very proud that she still has her own teeth. And especially because when she was growing up, she said they never even brushed their teeth. They never saw a dentist. And so she is. We just we joke about her because she is so incredibly careful about caring for her oral health at this age. You may here for a long time, hopefully. Let's <laughs> hope so. So when you and I talked, uh, Beth, we, we talked about some of your your own feelings about aging and how you live your life in, in terms of all of that. So would you share that with us? We, I don't reject aging. And I think that that's, that's important. I don't bemoan the fact that I'm 77. What I'd like to illustrate is there are many ways to be 77, and I represent uh, one of them. But as I mentioned earlier, I've been healthy. And so not everyone has that particular uh, blessing. Um, but I believe in, just like when we talked about the career, you know, how have I taken advantage of new opportunities? Um, I do approach aging in the same way. I was a runner for 39 years. I needed to stop running due to an accident and become a walker. Fortunately, along the way, I had developed the yoga practice, which has been helpful to, uh, to both. Um, you know, I'm also a weight watcher for 50 years. And so I think that that has indeed, you know, helped me to really understand, you know, what I'm putting in my body, um, makes, you know, makes quite a difference. Um, including the fact that I have a food sensitivity to, to dairy. So another example is my grandkids um, said I wasn't listening. You know, I couldn't understand the difference between flap and flat, for instance. And so I found out that I did have a hearing disorder and now I have uh, hearing buds and we have better conversations. So I think that, um, you know, accepting the fact that things are going to change. They are not going to, they are not going to stay the same. I don't wish to be 20 or 30 again. Yeah, there are a few things I'd like to do over again. Um, you know, but wishing you were 77 and then living into that, I think is, um, is actually key. And you and I talked a little bit, Gail, about advice and I've received, uh, 
two examples if you'd like me to share those. Sure, go ahead. Okay. Well, one was um, my um, my mom had a room called the junk room, and in the junk room she had a pink flowered chair. And one of the delights of my childhood was going into the junk room, sitting on her lap, and reading. One of the books we read was The White Cat, and at the end it said, "Perseverance wins." P U R R. And she would make me repeat that um, before I went to bed. And so I think that that message about perseverance, um, you know, it was really, you know, just became a part of me. Um, and then an unlikely situation, um, a walking coach that I had when I began walking, uh, Gloria said to me, don't look down, look one square ahead. And I think that that's a, a good analogy for aging, you know, don't look down, don't look back, look one square ahead. And um, so both of these pieces of advice are, you know, have really been important to me as I age. Look ahead. Um, she also told me to become the hill um, when you're going up a big hill and then persevere. I wanted to know what she meant by that, become the hill. Well, you know, when you, um, there's a, when you're like, I was, I was training for San Francisco. So we got to say that. There are a lot of hills there. But what she was saying is, is that, you know, don't slump over, you know, don't get in some strange position to make the hill. Become the hill. And she said, that's the way you get up to Fort Mason. Um, and so, you know, it became an analogy for me that was, you know, more than just become the hill. It became an analogy for become the hill when other obstacles are in your way. A great analogy. It is. Yes. Yeah. I um I have been a lactose intolerant my entire life. And so I understand dairy allergies and 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 you know it's it's uh, it reminds me of of having the last laugh because not eating dairy is really very good for my health. And it's easy. <laughs> do that right when you when you have an allergy to it so um yeah so so very interesting beth and and tell us what are you thinking about now in terms of your work at concordia and and what are you looking ahead to well i have three exciting projects at at concordia and i'm not looking to take on anymore right now because I do not want to work full time any longer. Um, but uh, I have the Reframing Aging Project, which we discussed. Um, also, I have the project that I began when I started consulting with Concordia, and that is a Specialist in Aging Ministry Program, which is to train um, people in congregations, synagogues, um, probably the Abrahamic faiths. Um, to actually create lay ministries, because what often happens is you have people focused on youth, um, but they're not focused on older persons. Mm -hmm. um, finally, regenerating um, an idea that comes out of, once again, the Center's strategic plan. Um, we are an age-friendly university, a movement that began at uh, Dublin City College, Arizona State, and Strathclyde in Glasgow. And so there are 10 principles of becoming an age-friendly university, 
And one is to really make it possible for intergenerational education. So our 55 plus program, it's something Concordia had on paper, um, but really hasn't, you know, put into motion for a long while. So working on that. So those three projects, they're varied and um, there's always something happening um, in in one of them. So I what what I do hope is that the center uh, will continue to grow, that uh, we will be important to the community as well as to um, national organizations, which is why I continue to apply and hopefully be accepted, you know, as a speaker. Um, you know, and you know, it is it is my community and it has been by and large my community since nineteen seventy two. You know, so I'm committed from that perspective. I'm committed from a subject matter perspective. Um and I really want to keep my brain going. <laughs> Where so you really like what what did you say? I really want to keep my brain active. Keep your brain yes, yes. And you just what you said earlier was you like to make change happen. You like to be involved in bringing things forward. So it sounds like you also are one of those lifelong learners. Oh, yes. I, I, <laughs> one of them. I, Catherine, I have now stopped saying that I'm never going back to school because I've said it, I've said it twice and <laughs> gone back four times. So that's <laughs> And, and where is Concordia located? It's located in River Forest, which is um, a River western Forest. western suburb about 15 miles from Chicago. Okay. It's in my backyard of Oak Park. <laughs> and I'm, you know, uh, I am, of course, in, in Oak Park as well, um, between Division and Berkshire. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much. This is really fascinating. Thank you, Beth. Thank you for the thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate it, and I am working on getting you some additional names for the future. And, Wonderful. Uh, so, and I also uh, uh, thank you for your um, recent email, uh, Gail, about the future of women over seventy. <laughs> thank you. Well, and listeners. Thanks to your loyalty, our numbers are growing all across the country and overseas. And this, of course, is a good thing. We still need more subscribers. So you can subscribe on our YouTube channel, Women Over 70 Aging Reimagined, or wherever you find our podcasts. And please join us in changing the conversation about women aging. We'll see you next time.